I think that's enough for announcements. Let me um, transition us to thinking about the scriptures. Uh, We're in Romans 16 today, verses 17 through 20, almost the very end of the book. I think we have probably, you know, this one and one more. And then, Josh, I think we'll do one final wraparound uh, sermon from Romans, and and then we'll be done. So we're we're almost there. So uh, that said, uh, I'll just invite up Alvin to uh, read the text. And why don't we all stand uh, for the reading of God's word? out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice with you but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the Lord of the, the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to him. Amen. Please remain standing. Let's pray together. Thank you, Alvin. Gracious Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for uh, this opportunity to gather in your name, to be a family of faith, God, and thank you, Lord, that you give us many good gifts, including your word. God, we pray that you would use our time together in the reflection on this passage, Lord, for your own glory, Lord, for our good, and for the advancement of your kingdom on the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Right. All right. So, friends, uh, brothers and sisters, saints in the Lord, as I uh, got to dive into our passage this week and reflect on it a bit, uh, I got to thinking about counterfeits, the potential of counterfeits in this life, kind of uh, false things, phony things designed to deceive that are kind of posing as the real deal, the real thing, but they're not. Uh, As you may already know, uh, when it comes to identifying counterfeits, there is some kind of good just general wisdom out there, which says basically this. It says, hey, if you're worried about a counterfeit, here's here's what you don't do. Don't waste your time uh, seeking to become an expert in all the various and many and constantly multiplying uh, kind of fake and false versions that are kind of coming out all the time and that are floating around and maybe coming your direction. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't waste your time becoming an expert in the false. Focus instead, on the other hand, on the genuine, on the true, on what is right, right? The, the real McCoy. Focus on that. 
And then if you do that, the wisdom goes on, like the, the fake and the false will kind of tell on itself over time. The fake and the false will, will become evident for what it is over time. A few more concrete examples of this I was thinking about this week. So for example, if, uh, if you and I were, uh, you know, really uh, to get to know the, you know, let's say the genuine uh, $100 bill, right? The, the Benjamin, right? Because I know we're all just, we're rolling in those Benjamins, right? So really get to know that $100 bill, what it looks like, what it feels like. Really get to know, uh, you know, that genuine pair of, uh, you know, designer sunglasses, your Oakleys or whatever. Uh, you really get to know those things, you know, get to know the way they feel in your hand. Get to know their, their weight and their balance. You know, get to know the, the genuine kind of nuanced shape of the logo, so on. These kinds of things. Well then, implication is you are far less likely to end up being deceived. Far less likely to kind of be thrown for a loop or taken advantage of or tricked. Buy something fake or something false. The bell is very real. Every week. Yeah. The bell is so real. So, there is wisdom, right? There is wisdom in this idea. There's wisdom in getting to know the genuine article, the real thing, so that things that are not the real thing uh, become clear and obvious and evident. In a similar way, as we consider these next four verses in the book of Romans today, we see the Apostle Paul referring to, quote, such persons, in verse 18, who do not serve our Lord Christ, as a warning to the Roman church. And concerning these persons that he's referring to, and as we look at the text and read more about them, we see that these, get, these are, are folks who are peddling uh, lies on some level. They're they are peddling falsehood, something, a counterfeit teaching of some kind, or maybe multiple counter, counterfeit teachings. Counterfeit teachings. It sounded weird coming out of my mouth. But Paul's instructions regarding these folks is very clear. In these verses, he writes to the church and basically says, hey, church, walk wisely regarding these things. Walk in wisdom, dear church. We see this in verse 19, especially. And as, as you do that, Paul is saying to the church, know this, know that in the end, the truth of God will triumph. Walk wisely. Seek to go on the wise path and have that confidence that the truth of God wins in the end. All of the uh, kind of counterfeit teachings and troublemaking teachers do not win out. Know that that is true, even when you're in the trenches, even when things are messy here and now. We see this, like I hinted at just a moment ago, I think very plainly, verse 19. This calling, Paul writes, I want you to the church in Rome, I want you to be wise as to what is good. 
pause there. It's not a complete sentence, but just for a moment, think about this word wise. Kind of fill this out a little bit more. I want you to be wise. In other words, he's saying, I want you to be learned. I want you to be thoughtful. A definition of wise that I picked up at one point that I think is a good one and I think accurate is to say, um, to be wise is to be skilled in the art of daily living. And if we're thinking about godly wisdom, then we're saying this is, this is godly skill, God-given skill in the art of daily living. So that's the first part of this verse, 19. Paul says, I want you to be wise in what is good. Pause there for a second. What is good? We're talking about what is right and beautiful in the sight of the Lord. What is just and what is true in accordance with the gospel. That's what Paul is saying here. I want you to be learned, skilled. I want you to know it, right? Be an expert in the good stuff, not in the false stuff. He goes on from there, though. That's only half the sentence. At the same time, he says, I want you also to be innocent as to what is evil. The word innocent there, if we pause for a second on that word, carries with it this idea of being kind of un, unmingled, not mixed up with uh, lesser or uh, lower quality or kind of contrary things that are against the good thing. You might think of this carried over into the, the imagery of metal. Think of precious metals, like silver or gold. What is, what is dross as we think about silver and gold? It, it's impurities, maybe bits of iron or other things that are mixed up in the precious metal. And so this word innocent is this idea of like purity, right? It's, it's the, this material that is precious, not being mixed up, not being mingled with those things. Especially not being mingled with that final word, what is evil? Looked this word up this week just to kind of fill it out a little bit more in my own head. And uh, one of the definitions was like a general word for badness, like the most general word for badness. But I mean, it carries with it other, other ideas, right? Things that are twisted, things that are false, things that are uh, depraved and even injurious to us are things that are evil, injurious to others. So be innocent, be unmixed, unmixed up with things that are evil. We ask the question, why, Paul? Why are you giving us this command to, to be wise in what is good, to be innocent in terms of what is evil? And the answer is, well, because we can kind of figure out by looking at what Paul is saying, there is evil around. This is a necessary warning. There are things that are injurious and harmful. There are counterfeits around the Roman church. And so this is a warning not just for fun. This is a warning about real things going on in the life of the church, or at least potentially, that could be coming in, uh, coming in the direction of the church. So Paul does not want these believers to be deceived. So that's why he's, he's clarifying these things here right at the end of the letter. And, you know, uh, just as there were these false things, these deceptive things, injurious things, these, you know, such people in Paul's day, uh, so too are there still these things today, right? And there are still injurious, uh, 
thoughts, beliefs, worldviews, people who are, we, we could rightly say, troublemakers in the life of the church, promoting false teachings, and people who are deceptive teachers. For us today, uh, these falsehoods might even be a little bit more sneaky and a little bit more subtle in, in certain ways than they were in Paul's day. You know, in Paul's day, it was very clear. It would be someone coming, you know, coming to t- town and kind of promoting a thing, speaking, teaching, right? As he describes it, with, with flattery and with smooth talk, someone who looks good and sounds good and makes you kind of feel good about yourself as he's, as he's speaking. That, that's what it would have been in Paul's day. But for us, we have so many different ways that we take on board messages, right? It's not just the word of mouth of the person coming into town, right? It might be coming at us in the form of a podcast that maybe even is one that we've come to really like over time. A false message or something deceptive might be coming at us through uh, a social media outlet that we've, you know, uh, started to follow and are kind of really into, Things might come at us through movies that we like or music that we listen to. Even, this is a little more scary to think about, but even through, at times, other, other people, right? Other, like, people we'd call friends. Perhaps even if you're in a, in a professional counseling situation with maybe someone who doesn't share the worldview of Jesus Christ, you could, you could be taking on board things that are not of the gospel. The truth is, is there are a million different ways we could kind of uh, take on things that are potentially injurious, potential sources of falsehood. But the solution here is really simple. Right? The answer here is really timeless and it's really clear. It's something that is unchanging across the generations and even across cultures. So the question I want to ask and try to answer for the next few moments is simply, what does it mean to be wise? What is this, this answer, this kind of timeless thing here, especially in the face of, of these such persons? So I got two answers for us, two reflections. Uh, and the first one I'll just dive into right away is in order to be wise, we must first and foremost, know truth. We must know truth to be wise. Uh, we simply cannot uh, just walk wisely without knowing the genuine article, right? the real deal. Right? That needs to be clear in our thinking, in our minds. If we look at uh, verse 17 together again, we read this, and there's something important here I want to point out about this verse. Uh, I'll read it. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions, create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So what we see there is we see on the, you know, the, the front end and the back end, we see two very clear commands. Watch out. You know, be alert. Kind of take heed, and then the back end, avoid. Keep away, stay away from, especially these, these false teachers. 
But in between these two things is this uh, really clear and important statement that says that, what does he say? He says, uh, contrary to the what? Yeah. Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Now, you know, the truth is that as much as most of us would love to know exactly what Paul is referring to here when he says the doctrine that you have been taught, uh, the answer is people have a lot of theories, but there is not absolute clear clarity on exactly what Paul is referring to when he speaks of the doctrine that you have been taught. Some of the ideas and some of the theories, for example, one would be um, simply everything that Paul has written in the letter up to this point could be what Paul is referring to. That is, that is the doctrine that they have been taught, his own writing in this letter. I, I lean away from that one because it seems like Paul is alluding to some, some pre-existing knowledge, some body of knowledge that they had before he wrote this letter. But it's one option out there. Another option in terms of what is this doctrine that they have been taught could be um, a reference to a series of trustworthy sayings that we see referenced by Paul in other places. Like, for example, in uh, 1 Timothy, three times we see Paul reference uh, uh, trustworthy sayings. For, just to give one of them, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, uh, Paul says this. He says, uh, this, say, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And he goes on and he says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So it could be that when uh, in Romans where Paul is referring to this doctrine that you have been taught, it could be a number of these trustworthy sayings that have ended up uh, carried to Rome, perhaps by Priscilla or Aquila or someone else that has become this trusted body of, of doctrine. It could be more about kind of the narrative facts of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. We don't know, like I said. Yet one thing that we can say with certainty and clearly is that this doctrine, in Paul's mind, is absolutely true. And it really matters. It's completely true and it really matters and it is part of what it means to be wise to know this doctrine, this truth. In fact, we could say it matters so much that it actually is helping, in Paul's mind, to clarify the genuine article from those who are the counterfeit peddlers of things that are not the gospel. It's kind of creating this dividing line between those who, as Paul says, serve Christ and those who, he says very clearly, do not serve Christ in this passage which he's drawn some very clear lines there, distinguishing lines. So if we want to be those who walk in wisdom, truth is foundational, right? Truth matters. Being willing to, to learn and, and being willing to be taught is part of what it means to, to walk wisely in this life. One implication uh, I was thinking about of this is just the the world we live in uh think of you know i don't know if this is still even a thing but especially when i was in school you know lots of conversation about post-modernity post-modernism right and subjectivity 
And the reality of, you know, hey, like, it's okay if there's no universal truth. We all have our individual truths. And the testimony of the scriptures and of God's word says, yes, there's, there's space for subjective truth, but there is ultimate truth as well, right? There is capital T truth. As uh, Francis Schaeffer, uh, I read a bi- biography of Tra- Francis Schaeffer many years ago, uh, kind of a, a pastor and a theologian and an apologist of a, a kind of a bygone era of this time. How many know Francis Schaeffer? Just, okay, most of you guys, that's good. Probably won't be that many hands at Vespers tonight, I would bet. Uh, but, uh, so, uh, I mean, what, what, uh, we will find out. Yeah, we will find. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I hope that it wasn't meant to be insulting. I'm just, you know. Anyway, you guys are seasoned saints. That's all I'm trying to say. So, but anyway, Francis Schaeffer, in this biography about his life, at one point he's talking about uh, how he has this, basically, this existential kind of crisis. And he's struggling with what is true. How can I know truth, right? How does anyone know what is true? Ultimately, he's able to resolve it and come down on the fact that there is this thing that he calls true truth that is universal, that supersedes all of our personalities and our, and our cultures. And the reality is it is good when truth, capital T, big big ultimate universal truth comes to us from the outside something we can hang on to something we can anchor ourselves to that's not just of our own making it's a good thing when truth comes to us from the outside we know uh, chiefly as uh, those seeking to follow christ today that our source of truth by and large is indeed the scriptures it's the bible it's god's word itself after all, it is the scriptures where we learn of who our Savior is, right? It's, it's in the Bible that we learn of, of, of Jesus. And like, for example, thinking of John 14, where Jesus says that he is himself the truth, and the way, the truth, the life. We know that because of the testimony of the scriptures. I think of that and also in terms of John 8, where Jesus is talking to some some uh, Jewish, Jewish people who have come to believe in him. Jesus makes this really profound statement. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. He goes on, verse 32, and you will know the truth. And the truth will do what? Set you free. I think I heard it. Yeah, the truth will set you free. All right, so we'll, there's this profound connection here between truth and Jesus's word and being a genuine disciple, right? All, all three of these things are mixed up here in this statement of Jesus's word in a, in a good way, right? You abide in Jesus's word. You are truly his disciples. You will know the truth and that truth will set you free. So we need that, that we need doctrine, right? not just subjective feelings. We need doctrine that is founded on truth. We need to be wise in terms of knowing who God is and what he has done. What, uh, and along with that, thinking of scriptures, what what God says, right? Uh, Thinking again of Francis Schaeffer, uh, he he had another book, or he had a book, I should say, 
called God is there and he is not silent. (laughs) God speaks. So number one, to be wise, we must first and foremost, sounds obvious, but we must know truth to be wise, to live wisely. That's the first reflection. Second reflection, probably be shorter, but to be wise, to walk wisely in this world, to not be deceived by counterfeits, troublemakers, we must, number two, yield ourselves to God's way. Yield ourselves to the Lord. See this in verse 19, Paul writing again, obviously, to the Roman Christians in the church. He speaks of their obedience. He says, for your obedience, Roman church, is known to all so that I rejoice over you. Your obedience is known to all. Think of that from another angle. He's saying your, your yielding to the Lord is known to all to the extent that I am rejoicing over you. And so as opposed to and kind of in contrast with those who are bringing this counterfeit teaching, those who are serving their own appetites, their own desires and passions, their own purposes, Paul is commending these believers in Rome and even rejoicing himself personally over them because they are those who are yielding themselves over to the Lord in obedience and faith to God's way. In that submission, again, we find wisdom. It is wise to submit to the Lord. Ultimately, we see, uh, you know, knowing truth, especially if we're just talking about knowing on a cognitive level, knowing truth is important, but it's not sufficient. It's not enough. We, We need more than to know the truth. We need also to believe it, to submit to it, to yield ourselves to the God of truth himself. And this to me uh, kind of flows right into, in a natural way, uh, what we see Paul saying in verse 20. Verse 20, the last verse that we read together, part of our reflection for today, Paul says and writes this really uh, mind-blowing thing. (laughs) It's a really amazing statement that we see involving uh, the believers in Rome, the Lord, and Satan. What does he say? He says, verse 19, he says, I want you to be, well, I'll start, pick up in 19 and read into 20. I want you to be wise as to what is good, innocent as to what is evil. And then, oh, by the way, speaking of evil, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So we see the connection. He's thinking of evil flows right into the chief of evil. There's a lot of crazy things we can kind of think about in relation to this verse. Like, for example, one of the things I was was uh, just kind of mulling over myself this week was uh, this truth that the God of peace crushes. (laughs) Right? The God of peace crushes something. I was trying to think of an analogy for that. What's, what's something peaceful that crushes? I came up with something. Snow. Right? Right? Snow is beautiful. Snow is peaceful. Snow is serene. And yet you get enough snow 
that snow will crush stuff, right? Right? Crush a roof, crush a parking structure. Ken knows way too much about that from a few months back. Right? And so, so the God of peace crushes. And the thing that the God of peace crushes is evil. Satan himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. But there's more to it than that. Something else to kind of pick up on here. The God of peace crushes Satan. We say, how specifically does Paul say that that happens? Under what? Under your feet, right? Under our feet. Under the feet of those who are believing folks in, in Rome. And what this points to, I think, again, is this idea of us being yielded over to God. Because it's this idea that really, if you were here last week, Josh was focusing on in a major way in his little reflection on the Lord's Supper, which is this mystery that is beautiful, which is union with Christ by grace and through faith. When we are yielded ourselves to Christ, to the Lord, his stuff becomes our stuff, right? We become one. And part of that is that his victory over Satan becomes our victory. So that the God of peace can crush Satan through us under our feet. To me, that's mind-blowing. It's good news. It's one of those things that I'm, I'm trying to reflect on. Like, how does that work out in our daily lives? And the thing I keep coming back to is that, that obedience, that faith that we're trying to exercise day in and day out, looking forward to a day of ultimate, ultimate crushing of everything that is evil and ultimate restoration of all that is beautiful. Satan himself is referred in the, in the scriptures in multiple ways, referred to in multiple ways. He's referred to as an adversary. He's referred to as the accuser of us, of the brothers and sisters. Certainly we could call him, he's the chief of the troublemakers, for sure. Largely, primarily, he is a liar. He is a deceiver. John 8, especially, we see Jesus reflecting on who Satan is in a very personal and powerful way. Jesus says, John 8, 44, says, He, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. It goes on, when he lies, he speaks out of his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's like Jesus mic drop moment, calling Satan out. This is who he is, and he does not win. So in wisdom, we yield ourselves by grace and through faith to Christ, and his victory becomes our victory. God's truth, as I said at the beginning, will and does surely triumph over the lies, over the falsehood, over the deceptions. Even if we see them raging in the world all around us right now, even if we see them raging in the church, they do not have the last word or the last laugh. 
Speaking of kind of last words and last laughs, it's fascinating, too, to connect what we're seeing here towards the end of Romans with the beginning of the whole biblical story. The beginning of the book of Genesis, Genesis 3, where we're talking about the, uh, you know, the, the crushing, the defeat of Satan and how we see this promise even early on in the scriptures given about how the offspring of the woman, the offspring of Eve, would one day bruise the head of the serpent. Some Bibles translate that differently. Sometimes it's, it's you know, crush or strike. Right? So it's that promise even early on at the beginning of the story that this, this is going to happen. Satan will be bruised, he will be crushed, he will be struck in a terminal way. Right? That's the end, en- en- and we're, right now we're in the middle of like the, the enmity is the word that we're, we're in the midst of that right now. So in order to be wise, Paul is saying to the Roman church, they must know the truth and they must yield themselves to God's way through obedience. And the same is true for us as well. This is how we come to know uh, what is genuine and appreciate the genuine reality of the gospel that is given to us in Christ. Come to know the falsehoods by getting to know what is good and beautiful. Uh, one more connection that I thought was neat in kind of studying this passage and reflecting on it, it might already be popping out to some of you, is how Paul, I think, also is picking up on some other words of Jesus in this passage. It's the words of Christ, especially in Matthew uh, chapter 10 in verse 16. And is there that Jesus says, he's, he's talking about persecution that will come to his disciples and Jesus says there, he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So what? So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Same two things. Wise, be wise. Be skilled in daily living in the Lord. And be innocent, be unmixed, right? be pure. Wise and innocent in the midst of the wolves. In the, sorry, midst of the wolves. So Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Paul is saying it to the Roman church, and it's still our calling today to walk in the truth, to walk wisely. That's our calling, and it's near the end of the book of Romans. You know, one of the reasons people think that there probably wasn't a ton of, of these false teachers coming on the church um, of Rome, as far as Paul knew when he's writing this letter, because it's such this minor note in this letter. There are other letters where, you know, the, the going after of false teachers is like the major theme of the whole letter, like Galatians, where Paul is just coming at, like, how could you possibly, like, believe another gospel? It's like the main thing that he's, like, totally losing his mind about as he was writing that letter. Romans, it's like this, this footnote at the end of the letter. And in a way, that's kind of encouraging because it means, hey, like, in general, they're in the truth, right? They're rejoicing in it. They're obeying it. And this is good. Final thought for me with which I'll close is perhaps just to think that uh, in the gospel, even uh, the troublemakers have hope. Even troublemakers, those who are deceivers, persecutors, can be turned around by God's grace. That was Paul's story, right? He was a, a troubler of the people of God, of the church. And yet 
God grabbed him, turned him around, made him his. That is our hope. That's our story, right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, you are good. Lord, you are before all things. In you, all things hold together. Lord, continue to hold us together in this crazy world that is full of falsehood and deceptions. Lord, help us to abide in your word and rest in your your beauty and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.